It's another episode of Auto Catch Up. We're up to episode fourteen this week. We uh, we have Joel Strickland back at Joel Strick Photo and um, and myself Ash. But unfortunately, Mick uh, just due to some uh, technological issues won't be joining us this week. Um, but we hopefully will have him back next week. But we have a ton of news to talk about this. Uh, this episode, whether it's uh, the new sneak peek of the new Kia Carnival, uh, new BMW M5, the new BT50 from Mazda, there's plenty of news. And to help talk through that with me, as I mentioned, it's uh, Joel Strickland. Welcome back, Joel. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for coming back. Uh, of course. So what have you been up to this week? You've been a bit busy? Yeah, so this week I've been busy with uh, a bit of work stuff, but um, I've been uh, in the new Subaru uh, Hybrid uh, XV, um, oh, cool. one of Subaru's new uh, forays into the hybrid market. So, yeah, I've been uh, pretty keen. When Subaru first talked about having going or bring picking two of their models to go hybrid, um, they have obviously the XV and the Forester, uh, I was very, very keen to to see, having driven other hybrids out there, uh, I was very keen to see what Subaru have done. So, yeah, I've spent the week in the XV. It went back today, um, unfortunately. It's very sad to see it go. It's it's in a wonderful colour, um, the the XV that I had, the hybrid. They have a, a colour that is um, hybrid only so it is only available in that it's the launch color as you would say um, it's lagoon lagoon blue pearl um, okay. it, it's hard to I would say it's probably a, sort of an aqua color is probably the best to describe it mm. Um a few people that I showed it to during the week really, really like the color. Uh, it really sort of stands out. It's 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 really nice. It does photograph well. Uh, I must admit that, bank from a photographer's photographer's point of view, that yeah, it's uh, it's a great great color to photograph because it um it does does well in the light. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Having driven a, a yeah. variety of Subarus over the years, I uh, was very intrigued to see how Subaru have gone up gone about creating this hybrid system and yeah it, it's 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 very it's it's very very interesting it, it's not they've basically taken a, a traditional two liter engine and then given the the hybrid system uh gives it an additional basically whack of power uh with the electric motors on board okay. um so Can you yeah, drive it in EV mode only, or is it more of a it's, like a, a pure hybrid kind of like a Toyota Prius kind of situation? Yeah, it's kind of like that traditional yeah. Prius uh, kind of. Um, we've talked about it four kind of volts at a style. So yeah. low speed. Um, it it works with uh, the EV. So yeah, particularly, sure. you notice it um, more so like basically parking it at home. As I enter the driveway, I could drive down the driveway and effectively park it in my driveway mm. purely in EV mode um, because it, it's under about 40 k's an hour that the EV system kicks in, um, you know, coasting up to lights. But where you really notice it is when you're braking. Uh, the way that the system's been designed is that when you're braking and, and coming into a set of traffic lights or coming down a hill even, mm. it will flick into EV mode and, and basically char recharge the system. Um, so yeah, it's really, really quite noticeable there, but it, it, the, the motors in it have a, uh, it has that electric motor noise, but it's not anything I've really heard before. It's, it's, it's kind of a little, a little bit different, but yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. Like, um, 
I think it's great the fact that, you know, a couple of times I came home late at night and I could sneak into the driveway and, and literally park the car up purely in EV mode. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 quite interesting the way that um, it works. And and but what it really helps with is is fuel economy. Um, yeah. Okay. So particularly when you stop at a set of lights with the stop start system, um, it's helping to save power and stuff like that. So um, for the, over the week that I had it, it I, it did about four hours of saving um, mm-hmm. and saved two point three liters of fuel. Um, with the stop-start system and stuff like that. So um, I did about 700 Ks in it. Uh, yeah, seven hundred and sixty odd k's in it over over the week, um, and I got um, the economy wise. It was quite interesting um, in terms of what it was available able to do. Uh, I got down to I, the average at the end of the, the week was about seven liters per hundred, um, and what i saw on the um the average through the week was was probably most of the time it spent time in the sixes um so low sixes um and then it sort of cre- it, it creeped up depending on um where you were driving so the more sort of city driving it creeped up but i did a bit of highway stuff and it was definitely in the sort of the low sixes for most of that time so did subaru develop the ev portion themselves or have their license licensed it from someone do you i'm know? pretty sure it's their system okay. that they're using um yep. I was intrigued because, as, as I said to, to you guys last week when we chatted, we talked about how I was intrigued to see how the system would work. Having spent a lot of time in the um, RAV system, I was very intrigued to see what Subaru would do with with theirs. Um, and it was interesting. I went back to read read some details just to, to, to understand um, – way they were doing and and it actually says in the press release it was an interesting thing to note so the way that the uh, to quote the Subaru press release depending on driving style the e-boxer hybrid system can offer improved fuel consumption particularly in urban stop go traffic which is what i talked about Mm -hmm. it also eliminates the unnatural braking fuel common to some electric only vehicles so what i sort of liked about the rav and you could really feel it the Subaru goes away from that and you don't feel it. So it's quite clever in that it's still doing this recharging system, but you don't notice it's doing it. So, you know, hats off to Subaru for creating this system that works really, really well, that you don't even know that it's doing it. And and I think that's the thing is that the probably the way that the cabin noise has been designed is that you don't hear the electric motors. Um, yeah. You can hear a little bit of noise, but it is quite quiet. So yeah, yeah they've done a they've done a really really good job. So um, yeah, and, and unless you sort of literally, you look at the car and and being car guys, we we pull things apart, we look at it and try to understand how it all works, and where stuff is hidden and stored and and all that sort of stuff. What I'm intrigued was that the Subaru you really wouldn't notice anything about it. The the two giveaways really are there is an, um, an air vent uh, to let the, the battery system breathe um, on the passenger side rear door um, okay. built into it there to, 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 allow yeah. for it, to allow for that ability to, to, to have that, um, 
to help it to help it breathe. And then there's also then there's obviously the battery system um, in the boot. Um, so obviously, so you do know, you lose a lot of boot space, or is it fairly uh, minimal for what it is? The boot space is really good. Um, okay. I was impressed with how much, like you know, I. I'm a photographer, so I carry lots of gear. So I loaded it up with what I needed to do, the stuff I was doing during the week. So I put a fair bit of stuff in. I was impressed how much it took in. But when you then open up and have a look at the boot, there's no spare. So it's basically because you're electric, you lose that space. So the battery system is directly below the rear seat. Um, so if you look in the boot space, the rear part of the boot is the battery system. Mm-hmm. The front part of the bottom part of the boot is um, your tire puncture kit because it comes with a goo system to, to, to fix a flat if you have it, and then tools and stuff like that. So which is which is kind of funny because I'm looking at photos of it right now and all of the press photos at the moment are showing it on like rugged terrain and off-road and that kind of thing and and you'd you'd think anyway that if um if you're buying a, a car like this to take it off-road you probably want that that spare option because if you, if you get a flat off-road it's um having Gouda and a and an air pump is is one thing but it probably won't last you too long off-road um even though like I think that's probably to sell the aspirational side of things but i think um the the reality is if you're buying a subaru hybrid it's probably going to be the school you know the car that you have for the school run um or you know going on a bit of a trip on you know in between towns rather than you know taking it off yeah you know onto the beach or something like that. a lot of the press particularly particularly around the release of the new version in the US, a lot of the imagery around that is that off-road version. But you've got to remember that there's five variants of this vehicle available in Australia. Yeah. So the hybrid is just one of five. So for everyone else that's buying it, and, and it's funny, we went out and did a little bit of filming and that stuff during the week. Um, and we went down to down towards the Great Ocean Road and the, the guy I was with that we were working with it was quite funny. We saw so many XVs that down that Torquay area was mm. the per- it's the perfect vehicle for it because we we sit, you talk about it. It's got great. You got basically the ability to fold your seats down. You throw your surfboard in the back. You head to the surf beach and away you go. True. So it's all wheel drive. So and I and that's the beauty about Subaru is that their vehicles are all wheel drive. So you know that no matter what the conditions are, you can drive that car. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's perfect for all that ability. It's got that extra uh, ground clearance and things like that. So if you're pulling into um, – it's not until you drive a vehicle with that extra ground clearance do you actually notice like pulling into some of the car parks down there at the surf beaches. They're not smooth. They're not a gravel car park. They're, they're not a concrete car park. They're a gravel car park. There's a little bit of undulation in it. Yeah. So having that extra ground clearance in something like the XV is, you know, is, is quite good. Um the hardest thing to tell with Subaru spec models is that you can't tell what is what from the ex- the outside because you look at the badging and it's just purely an XV badging. So, you know, you don't know what people are buying, whether they're buying, you know, the, the standard I, whether they're buying an L or whether they're buying a premium. Yeah. Um, the hybrid's an easy one now because you can buy, you can see it if you pick that color, it's an exclusive color. But then there's obviously also the S version and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it, it's got that ability to 
go anywhere. The ground clearance is great. The new um, X mode is designed to help you with that. Some off-roadability if you're if you're doing that sort of stuff, helping with you know slippery surfaces and and um, you know not the best uh, you know gravel and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's one of those vehicles that. And I was trying to think back because my history with Subaru, I go back quite a way with with my involvement with the brand in terms of what I've done prior to today. And I was trying to work out when the XV actually became onto the market. You know, it's one of those models that it kind of snuck in because for a long period of time, it was a vehicle that, um, you know, the... The the Impreza, they had that RV and that sort of model, and then all of a mm. sudden, the the XV sort of dis, sort of came onto the um, onto the market. Obviously, it's called the, the Cross Trek overseas. So, 2013, 15, it kind of eventuated. So, it's a model that's quite young in its yeah. in its life cycle. So, prior to that. It, it, there wasn't really anything. You kind of had, you know, your Imprezas that they had a, they had a, pretty sure they had a sports wagon sort of Impreza. Yeah, and they then, did. then they had the Forester. The Forester has obviously been that, always been that sort of off road mm-hmm. vehicle. So the and then the Outback are, as well. Yeah, the Outback. Like they had a fairly diverse range, I think, anyway. But I think the XV just slots in into that slightly smaller spot. Um, which, like you said, if you've got a surfboard, you know, you, you might not necessarily have a huge family, maybe a young family, or you, know, you live on your own and you, yeah, you want to have something with the the um, surfboard in the back. So I think that's where it really comes into its own. And, and perhaps down, like what you're saying, that Torquay area, the start of the Great Ocean Road, it's um, it probably fits in very well where you might have different um, conditions as well. Because like me being a Queenslander, oh, I forget how easy it is for you if you're in down in Melbourne that you can just drive through the snow. Um, yeah. And that's where having a, an all-wheel drive vehicle really comes into its own. And I think that's... Um, that's the other market for it. So we've talked yeah. about that beach sort of style, uh, that beach sort of market and, and ownership. I think the other one is definitely, particularly with the, the all-wheel drive ability, um, and we'll talk about the Forester next week because that's what I, what I picked up today. Yeah. But that has select modes, and a lot of it is based around snow and stuff like that with the, with its extra X-Drive. Um but the yeah, I think the other end of the spectrum in terms of where the market is for the XV is for those that are living in um, regional Victoria where there's an ability it could snow, um, yeah. and you could be in it. It's the perfect vehicle. Like if I was living somewhere, you know, anywhere probably north of Melbourne, say oh, maybe a hundred k's out, any kind of moving into any hilly area, yeah. this is the perfect vehicle if if you want. A four-door car with with boot space that you don't want anything too big. You just want it to be able to do what you need to do with your day-to-day life. But you know that if it's snowing or it rains or whatever, and you and you're living in an area where there's a dirt road, it's perfect for it because mm. you know it, it it does everything you need to do. Um, you know, Subarus are now coming with CarPlay and Android Auto, mm. so it, it's got it's got everything everything that you need. Yeah. And, you know, the, the hybrid is, it's almost the top of the range in terms of where it is, sits in the price point. So the the man, the sort of 
drive away price for Victoria is around about 40 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, the start point for that model is about 30, 33. So it's, it's the higher end of the spectrum in terms of its price point, but for what it is, and you know, the hybrid gives you about, you know, 14 to 15% better fuel economy in its ability for what it does. Um, the only downside I can see is that the um, the fuel tank is a lot smaller than what on on that model than what it is on a standard. So even though you've got the hybrid where you, you, you're getting that better fuel economy, you won't necessarily be you know filling up any less. Um, which do you think that plays into a little bit of the psychology of owning a hybrid? Where like I know when I had a, a Prius C, that um, you know it felt great that I could get about 900 k's out of 30 liters, um, and so it felt like forever um, between fill-ups and. Um, and if you're going into a hybrid that has a slightly smaller fuel tank, even with the obviously because it's going to make room. If, you, if you're sitting on yeah. the seat for the battery, that obviously is going to eat into that that fuel tank space because normally they sit the fuel tank under that rear rear seat. So um, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's the pro and the con of going for the hybrid versus anything else is um, in Subaru anyway because this is it, like we're talking fairly early on in terms of their hybrid technology. Um, like they haven't like as far as I can recall, they haven't been doing hybrid models at all for very long, and it's also obviously a big step for them to be um, developing their own you know, sort of building their own systems because I know that, you know, for their boxer engines and everything like that, they they do a lot of that development themselves. Um, even though they have the benefit of coming a little bit later and seeing all the lessons learned from everybody else. Uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's a good first step, isn't it, for them? Um, it doesn't feel like you're compromising too much on anything at all where compared to, like, look, look at the Outlander FEV, um, their plug-in hybrid that that felt like for a little while a bit of a a lot of compromise for not a lot of upside, um, but that's obviously improved a little bit over time. Um, but yeah, so obviously it's uh, it's good that you've had that experience so far um, for it, and and um, I, I don't see as many Subarus up here anymore um, as of late. But I think that's probably in part like what you what you're saying before in terms of the climate that we have up here might not be, particularly in the metro areas of southeast Queensland, um, compared to more regional areas within Queensland where you're going between farmland and everything like that. Um, It makes a lot more sense to have a car like that um, where Subaru is all about that, you know, symmetrical all-wheel drive. Like like those ads are ingrained into my mind from when I was growing up, um, like with the WRX and everything like that. That uh, obviously it makes a lot more sense down there where you are. Um, we have a lot of very different types of weather, you know, throughout the year. Um, but yeah, so well, that's good, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the um, the Forester as well. Yeah, Forester, I, I grabbed today, and I've done a, yeah. I've done a few Ks in it already, but it, it's it, it's it's wow, it's different. Um, you know, in terms of what I've gone from being basically the the hybrid XV, which is 
you know, which is one sort of spec level, this um, Forester is a hybrid again, but it's a, it's another spec level again. Yeah. And um, it's really, really interesting. I'm looking forward to, to, to talking to, the, to, to you guys about it next week. But, wow, I haven't driven a Forester for a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, wow, it's, it's, it's great, like, in terms of what it does and um, just the vision. And, and that's the other thing I noticed about the XV – it's a, it's a small little car, but there's so much glass. So mm. vision out of it is so good. Like I never had a problem driving on the highway and stuff like that. You, you could always turn around and check because there's all these little glass panels and through from from A through to B to C pillars. It, it, it's really, really good in terms yeah. of the vision and then the blind spot monitoring and stuff like that. So you don't have a problem driving in traffic and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty it's it's amazing so um yeah i i was really really excited to to spend time with it and yeah the 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 forester i'm looking forward to spending a a really good week with um but ash tell me about the supra how was it yeah look um i was very sad to to see it go today and um but look, had a had a great time. I, I briefly mentioned it on the uh, podcast last week, where um, yeah, took it out to um, out to Warwick from Brisbane, and then uh, then made it made it a multi day trip. Where um, yeah, we went from there up through Bunya Mountains out to to Noosa, and then back down through uh, Mount Glorious and Kalani back to Brisbane. So um did a did a pretty good tour of um southeast Queensland I would say for driving roads. Um found a found some great areas to really test the the, the grand touring aspect of the super because I think a lot of people um probably well, don't you realize really, you really did head a long way out of out of Brisbane. <laughs> wow that's cool. Yeah so we did about a thousand K's round trip in in just a few days. Um and look, I got to say, it was an ext- there's a few little quirks that you have to get used to um, in terms of the because of the design, your visibility isn't the greatest um, in a few areas, particularly uh, where because of the how short the roof is and and the windscreen isn't the biggest, um, sometimes that rear view mirror can get in the way. Um, which if you're if you're driving on mountain roads or even on a track that might be a little bit of a hindrance for some people, particularly taller people. Um, but maybe once, for Mick then. No. Um, look, if I'm I'm about six one and I'd probably I wouldn't want to be any taller um, in the car like that because I had the seat as far back as you could go. I kind of settled down as low as you can sit. Um, even though the car itself is super low, like you're under the waterline for a lot of other cars where you're sitting um it feels like just the driving position i would just just would have loved it to be a smidge lower just to really feel like you're sinking into it um but with that aside and once you settle it into the car and, and once you're loaded up with all the gear it is just fantastic to drive it um the the way the engine and the gearbox work together and the way it puts the power down to the rear wheels um it is such a rewarding driving experience from a from that touring perspective so when you put your foot down it, it there's it, it will have no obligation to light up the rear tires for you if you wanted to, um, particularly if the tires are cold. Um, the there's just power there when you want it. Doesn't matter 
what gear you're in or anything like that. The ZF gearbox just does a fantastic job of just being able to translate what the engine's doing and putting it down to the to those rear wheels. Um, it sounds great. Um, yeah, it, it gets a ton of attention and um, fuel well, it was economy. It was that bright red too. Yeah, so it was. It, it was the hero out. color. Um, and also the um, the fuel economy was probably the thing that surprised me the most. So with the type of driving that we did, let's just say it was very spirited um, to say the least. And we averaged about 12.1 on that trip. It's pretty good. Yeah, um, particularly when other not as exciting or not as spirit, you know, not as quick um, cars that I would probably put in a similar level, you'd probably be looking at 14, 13, late high 13s, low does 14s it, for fuel economy. Did you run 98 or did you run, what fuel did you run So at? I ran 98 the whole time. Yeah. Um, but on the fuel flap, it says you can put, E5, E10, 91, 95. Really? Um, as low as 91? Yeah, so it had no qualms. So, which is funny because it is a BMW engine. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I haven't personally looked myself, but I I probably hazard a guess that if you open the flap to the Z4, which shares the same engine, um, it will probably say, I think, a minimum of 95, 98 yeah, recommended. I I, I would you, European vehicles are normally that kind of... <laughs> You know, asking for that kind of yeah. minimum, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is that I, I probably hazard a guess. I don't know for sure, but I probably hazard a guess that it would adjust the tune based on the fuel that you put in. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's what I feel like. Most of those European engines are very clever. Um, that if you feed it in, it will adjust the tune accordingly, just so it doesn't um do anything to damage itself, and also so it gets it gets the most out of what you're putting in. Mm. Um, but because I didn't have to worry about um it, it where we were driving um has a few different sprint races happen on the public roads out there so most of the like the caltex petrol stations was it's quite funny to see they either had 98 um or, or diesel that was like the options you're pretty certain to get um and which is, I found it quite hilarious because in other places you go, you'd be lucky if you get 98, 95 at the most. Um, but it must be that in that spot when they have those races come through and people need fuel, they want 98, so the 98 is available. And um, it was much cheaper than buying the fuel in Brisbane, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, a good 20 to 30 cents difference. Um, but, yeah, so we ran it in 98 just to make sure that we were getting the best performance out of it. We weren't really trying to save fuel or anything like that. We weren't worried about that kind of thing. It was just like, well, it will take 98. The assumption is, is that in a, in a performance car like this, um, it should run the best on 98. So given that it's available, um, yeah. But if, but if, you know, for some reason fuel jumps up to an absurd price or things are a bit tight, yeah, it won't, complain or you won't have any issues putting in um you know the cheap stuff um as you go so it's so it's it's like one of, i guess it's one of those positives of um with the development for the super and the z4 it was obviously joint development but once mm-hmm. you got to a certain stage toyota you know essentially took over that product that bmw delivered to them and then did their tuning and, and finished the development of the vehicle itself 
and that's probably where um, the difference between the the engineers and the designers with Toyota differ from uh, from from BMW themselves. And I think in certain aspects it shows. And even if you look at performance, like head to head performance comparisons, um, I think the the current the twenty twenty model anyway, the twenty twenty one is going to be slightly different. Um, but at the moment, like if you put one head to head with the Z4, even though the Z4 has quite a bit more power on paper, you'll find that this most of the time the Supra is going to outperform the Z4, even though weight is very, very similar. I think the it's you know, you're talking a few kilograms here and there. Um, so yeah, it's I think it comes down to shows the prowess or the attention um and the intention as well of what Toyota wanted that Supra to be. Um and it was by far the car that drew the most attention I've ever driven. Yeah. Uh, and I even my photographer up here, he um he had just come up from Sydney where he was doing some work. He had a if you if you think of some of the best uh, 911s that we've had, you know, come to Australia in the last probably 30 or so years, um, this particular person he was working with had them, and they yeah, had okay. also like a thousand thousand horsepower Super, and they were driving them out to a location, and um, he said, look, I probably only got like one look. Um, when they yeah, had wow. all those cars together, but here in the Supra. Every every petrol station we stopped, somebody had to say something and come over mm. and talk to us about the car. Every time we put up into a car park, we had a conversation with someone like, oh, is that the new Supra? And they wanted to know all about it. Um, I've had people yell out from their cars, stop in the middle of the road and give me the thumbs up. Like, it, it's, it's a car that was like... It, it, yeah, like if if you love attention, this is a, it's a good car. Obviously, if you want to keep low, I probably wouldn't recommend the Supra because of the design. Like even I think once the initial hype settles down around the car and then people start to see a few more on the road, um, people probably you know that that usual yeah everything sort of settles down. But I I think it's just one of those cars that. Um, because it stayed relatively close to the concept vehicle, the FT1, um, that Toyota brought out a few years ago, it's it's just revived, kind of like what the 86 did, this excitement about a somewhat affordable performance car. Um, like, yes, it's 100000 in the GTS spec, but compared to, you know, um, even a, a, an M2 on paper, they're about one hundred and twenty thousand. You can probably pick one up for a little bit less, but you know when we're talking comparing on paper prices, and then even to get other performance, like this is zero to one hundred and under four point four seconds. Um, you know, to you, you then start looking at much more expensive vehicles to get um, comparable sorts of. Uh, performance um so i think it's yeah it's, it's an exciting vehicle it was fun to drive um we're able to fit all the luggage so we had three overnight bags two cameras a small esky snacks jumpers and all that kind of thing and we fit them in the boot no problem we didn't have to stuff anything into the front passenger area or anything like that um so everyone was able to stay pretty comfortable which was great um it also meant that when you are accelerating hard you've got less crap flying everywhere <laughs> and hitting people and coming loose and all that kind of thing um you can have a big phone in the wireless car uh, wireless phone charging spot so if you've got a 
an 11 Pro Max or you know a large Android device, you're going to fit that no problem into the wireless charging spot. Um, but the the biggest glaring omission, and I've mentioned this a few times to people, is the lack of CarPlay and the bit that just doesn't make any sense is that the hardware's there, the software's there, it's just not enabled. Um, if you buy a Super in the US, it's enabled. Um, if you buy a BMW Z4, it's enabled. Um, and so when jumping on a lot of forums um, like in, and looking at the owner pages for Australia, a lot of people are going in, plugging, um, you know, plugging a, a, a cable into the OBD2 port and ticking the box to enable CarPlay um, because it's just one of those things that, yes, some people might not care about it. Um, people go, well, why are you making a big issue about it? But like when we were doing this road trip, I had pre-planned all of the routes because if, if we wanted to set a, a Brisbane to Warwick um, trip, it would go, yep, here's the most direct way to get there. And whilst that's great if we're trying to save time and, and just get to Warwick, that's one thing. But if we want to enjoy some of the best driving roads, well, we kind of pre-plan that. And so I had a little Excel sheet which had like, okay, stage one, here's the Google, you know, here's the Google app, Google uh, Maps link. And so on the phone, I'd open that up and boom, there you go. There's all the driving roads. But because there was no CarPlay, we had to have a, a Belkin vent mount on the dash with the phone connected sitting next to this beautiful widescreen infotainment screen. Um, and it just felt like a wicked waste um, of a display and a waste of time having to have a phone set up when we could have easily avoided it where we had the phone on the wireless charger and it was just connected to the wireless CarPlay. Um, and it's in those situations, if you are going on a long drive, you want to have an app like Waze or Google Maps or, or, or some other Maps thing, which is up to date, which is going to give you other relevant data like accidents or roadworks or anything like that, which the inbuilt nav just doesn't do a great job of. Or if you want to get your, your text messages or, um, you know, listen to your audio books or podcasts or whatever it is. Um, there's because you just have to rely on the USB connection or the Bluetooth connection at some point, your passenger or you'll have to pull over and interact with your phone versus just either issuing a voice command or touching the screen. And so, that was probably just the one thing of annoyance for this car. Um, apart from everything else, I loved it. It was great. It was a hoot. It sounded great. It popped and cracked. And, you know, cars, what we want today, we want it to pop and crack. And it certainly did it. Um, but it was just the one sticking point where I go, particularly for a $100,000 car, if I can walk in and buy a $13,000 Suzuki Alto and it has CarPlay, why the hell can I not walk in and buy a $100,000 Toyota and have CarPlay in it? Um, particularly when it's not a licensing issue. It's not a BMW Toyota thing as far as I can tell. It is, it's all there. The hardware's there. The software's there. It's just not enabled. And it's just a bit that perplexes me, particularly when other new Toyotas are shipping with CarPlay as well. So... Rant over, but <laughs> loved the Supra. Fantastic. Great car. Um, and I didn't receive as much. I, I did. I posted it on um, on, on online, and I did a cu get a couple of snarky, like, ah, oh, great-looking BMW, that kind of thing. But <laughs> on a whole, in real life, people do not care. People are so excited to see the car. They're so... Oh. 
um, they want to know about it. They, and, and I think the the relevance factor of of knowing, oh, that's a previous generation BMW interior, and oh, that's a BMW engine. They don't care. People people in the real world don't care. Well, it's the return Online, of the icon. People care, but apart from that, nobody cares. It's it's return of the icon that you know the Supra has been such a iconic model for Toyota for so long, yeah. And it's been missing from the market, so everyone was waiting for it. I've got friends that are, you know, previous gen Supra owners. I've done stuff, you know, with Supra clubs in the past, so everyone's been waiting for it to come back. And it's great that it's back and that Toyota brought it back. Um, and, and what people you know, don't realize is that Toyota have come out and said that if it wasn't for this relationship with BMW, they would have never built the Supra because of the cost, the development cost of building a car like that. Hmm. Um, the number of components they'd be sharing with other vehicles would be so minimal. Yeah, um, with the rest of the range. Exactly. It's it's the same situation with the 86. If they didn't have that relationship with Subaru to split the development cost um, and to subsidize the product development in that way, they wouldn't have built the 86 because what what in terms of their focus right now as Toyota as a brand, um, like even the LMP1 car is a, is technically a hybrid, mm. um, so that fits in line with their future vision, and I know that like early rumors when the FT1 concept was around, it was like uh, the rumors were around that it's going to be an all-wheel drive hybrid system, you know, insane performance, and then I think the reality of cost and and balancing. Um, you know, expectation versus reality of, you know, setting a, a price point um, dictated that we had to sort of, you know, go back to just a, a, a traditional combustion engine situation. But at the same time, I can see where the door is absolutely open for the for this A90 or A91, I think it's going to be soon, Supra, where we could see a hybridized performance version of this um, in the future, like I absolutely think that the door is wide open for it, and um, if if the if if the if the market asks for it, I think um, it's probably the point where we could see, um, you know, there's definitely headroom in that in that car um, to to do something like that. Yeah, but exactly. Short, I think. I yeah, love I it. think. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm keen to drive. I've driven one very briefly, very yeah. low speed, um, yeah. uh, and I was interested. But I've driven the the Z4, the its sister car, yeah. uh, and was very impressed with that. So I'm yeah. very keen to get behind the wheel of a Supra and and see what that's like. But um, mm. yeah, it's uh, it's good. I'm glad glad you had a, a fun trip and took it for a good drive as well. Yeah. So definitely, um, it's one of those ones though where you get to the end of it. And probably a testament to the car and the roads that we were driving is that we um, we did about seven hours driving on that second day, that middle day. That was our biggest day of driving. And by the time we arrived in Danusa, we did not feel the same level of exhaustion you normally do after doing a bit of a road trip. Um, we, we did not, like, we just felt like, yep, cool, we'll check in, we'll lay down for, you know, we'll stretch our legs out for a you know, an hour or so. And then it was like, oh, let's go for a walk. Let's go, you know, check out what's going on. Um, you didn't feel like, oh, we finally arrived, you know, let's dump the gear and that kind of thing. It actually, we actually felt quite refreshed. And I think that was a testament to the car as well, um, to the level of comfort. It was probably the first car where 
and the type of sort of types of roads that we're on where the the configurable sport mode um that it has where you can adjust the the damper settings the engine the steering and um the acceleration that was all we had all of those in sport except for the dampers so we adjusted the suspension just to put it into normal mode just to make it a little bit more compliant over country roads and with that combo it was like this is great like we play we turn the suspension on and off to you know sport mode and normal and and we could you could feel a definite difference um sometimes it feels like with cars where they have like a sport mode you're, you're sitting there going so what happens now? Um, but this is a car we could you could feel the attitude change, um, and uh, yeah, it, it just made a great touring vehicle. And I'd love to take it on another touring trip again because um, it kind of felt like we we're doing a PR trip for Toyota as well. Because every town that we pull up, um, we pulled into Kalani. Um, and even like the Kenilworth Bakery, massive line, huge. They make iconic donuts and everything like that there. And everybody waiting like, oh, that's the new super. Check it out. And one guy walked over, took a photo and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like, oh, we should we should write a, a bill back to Toyota, to Toyota and go, oh, we just did a thousand kilometers worth of advertising for you. Um, but no, it was it was great. Really loved it. Love to take it on another trip again. Um, but yeah, well, that will be our cover article for the latest for the next edition. So if you want to see photos from that, you can always tune into the uh, to the next edition that should be out in a, in a few weeks. Um, Excellent. Looking yeah. forward to reading and seeing uh, what you guys uh, created. That's the thing. I mean, with Queensland being so much of the state being so sparse and being away from, you know, the metropolitan area, there's a lot of people that won't see that kind of stuff ever. It was the same sort of thing when I did that drive a couple of years ago from Melbourne to the Gold Coast in the new Mustang. The Mustang had only been on sale for a couple of months and there wasn't many of them out there. And it was the same thing. I drove up there and everywhere I stopped fuel and whatever else, people were stopping and asking and all about it. It was yeah. just one of those things. So when a car is fairly new and, and you take it outside of suburbia, people, you know, have never seen them and don't get a chance to see them. So they always love it. They always, That's why they always come and ask questions and they're always keen to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I'll, uh, I think Mick's got it booked in in a little while. So I'll be keen to okay. see what he says as well yeah. and uh, see how he fits in fits in too but uh but what do you think we should dive into some of this news pieces and um got a, f- a few interesting things to talk about um yeah there's a lot happening this week yeah so i think one because we're, we're all fairly you know fairly uh we seem to like the key carnival a lot here <laughs> within, within our group and, and look the sales numbers certainly show it as well um that the carnival seems to be uh doing something right but um t- uh, kia have teased the new fourth generation carnival um so they're showing uh like so it's due to be on sale in korea in the third quarter of this year so we'll probably expect early 2021 um for this but what do you th- what do you think of this uh, sneaky image? It's cool. I, I like it. It's very it's a very concept car style look. Yeah. But I love that it's got massive like twenty inch rims on it. It <laughs> yeah, looks really cool. really cool in terms of the design. So obviously we're going to just see a, a probably a new uh, progression of the the Kia design language. It's got a little bit of Seltos around it uh, at the yeah, front. Yeah, little SUV like, isn't it? Just yeah. Really- 
the big body back, you know. It's very – where the, the current uh, carnival is quite, got very curvy and and it's kind of very different lines and stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's it's very – this seems a lot more straight uh, and yeah. it, it, it more aggressive cuts if and you, lines. If you, if you, you cover the rear the front, it, it gives the, that rear C-pillar area – um, I know it's just like a, a sketch, um, so we can't really delve into it too much, but it gives me a little bit of like an ex- slightly extended like a uh, discovery yeah. look. Um, a, little bit of, a little bit of Lincoln feel about it as yeah, well. It kind of, yeah. I kind of get that feel from yeah. it. Um, but look, I think because we've had the current carnival for a while now, um, and so it's it's already pretty good it's got most of the tech that most people are after these days you you but um i think uh yeah it'd be interesting to see what they have um i'm sure that a, an updated you know a, a real look at the car will be coming soon if they're going to be launching it in the third quarter of this year um so that's only technically a month away um so i'm, I'm expecting probably a september-ish um maybe a late, late august to september sort of yeah. launch and We'll get to see it. There's no word on when it's coming to Oz. Um, no, they just say they just say global sales in many of Kia's markets to follow thereafter. So we could be lucky end of the year, but I probably assume most uh, car makers, particularly for something like this, will probably push it to the start of 2021. Um, just depends on how many models I've got to sell here, I guess, in between yeah. then. And- it's been a decent seller, and we were looking, we were looking at yeah. the, the sales for last month that uh, it, it did it pretty dominates well. dominates segment. It mm. is, by far, it is a huge seller um, yeah. in this segment. So, yeah. Unfortunately, Kia don't have one on their press fleet down in Victoria. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, I was talking to them today about booking some stuff and uh, I'm keen to, to get back into one at some stage. So, yeah. look, you know, if we if we get to see this in before the end of the year or early next year, I'll definitely put my hand up to, to try one to check it out. Absolutely. And, um, look, I, I assume pricing will be the same. I think performance will probably be very similar. I think it's probably going to be more of a... Um, I haven't seen any evidence anyway so far. I might have missed anything other that states otherwise. But I think the a model that does really well but so just doesn't need uh, it, it's it, it's not broken. It doesn't need a fix. No, it just it needs, it needs it needs an update. You know, yep. really at the end of the day. Um, well, the design language has changed a lot within Kia. Um, and a lot of the other models, like you said, with the Celtos and everything like that, are, are ushering ushering in that new design language, that modern design language that Kia are going for. So it um it makes sense to to give it a facelift and um a new updated look to go along with that. Yeah, uh, it's great to see what it's done. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like uh next bit Joel with Jeep Australia. Um there's probably it's and we can have a chat about the other part, but um in a in a positive note they've uh looks like they've partnered um with empty esky um to help drive bushfire relief efforts uh which is just a nice thing to see job yeah it's great to see i mean jeep have been very very proactive in this area of late in terms of some of the stuff that you know, the areas that they've been working in but the empty esky thing has driven 
purely from um, the bushfires that happened just after Christmas in the start of the year, particularly through New South Wales and, and Victoria, um, and obviously partly through you know South Australia as well. But yeah, it, it's great to see them involved um, and, and and doing something to help promote it again. I mean, yeah. it's been hard with COVID and everything. Everyone this time coming into this time of year or even probably even earlier into the end of summer. Traditionally, that's when, you know, everything was starting to to to, to rebuild and, and open back up again after the bushfires because COVID caused everything to, to kind of really close back up again. Yeah. The good thing is, is that this ability now, now that lockdowns are starting to lift, we can, we can, we can do that, have that ability to do day trips. We can overnight now and things like mm. that so take an empty esky go out to these areas that have been affected by the bushfires and spend up big you know yeah. and, and and to help you with your planning so what the empty esky website does and this is where the jeep support really comes in is that they've been able to help it um those people wanting to travel out into those areas actually to pre-plan their trip by essentially they can create their own route with an interactive map on the MTSQ website. So it's going to highlight different areas that you can go and then help you plan that trip. So um, that's going to be a pretty good way. If you're not too sure where to go um, and you know that you do just want to go on a little bit of a road trip, um, that's probably a, a pretty good way um, to sort of help plan out um, those trips. So, yeah, you can head to the Empty Esky website. Just search that on Google and you'll be able to find it. Um, yeah, just um, empty, au and, yep. and currently on there they've got two. It's because obviously New South Wales are probably one of the hardest hit um, and so they've kind of focused on that at the moment. So it's Sydney to Kiama, which is a two- to three-day itinerary, yeah. and Sydney to Shoalhaven, which is, again, another two- to three-day uh, mm-hmm. Itinerary. I mean, I'm keen to get up that area that way as it is out of Victoria. We currently don't have any restrictions to go into New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's it's great to to be able to do it. They've teamed up with um, surfing uh, New South Wales to to help you know get that sort of long weekend yeah. happening and things like that. So um, yeah, it's really really cool to see. And um, at some stage, it'd be cool to to jump in. Um, jump in a jeep and, and go and do that kind of, uh, kind of drive. <laughs> that's right yeah uh and so one i just want to touch on quickly so people might have been seeing on um on tv lately the the new jeep campaign or i should say um some familiar ads from a few years ago um whether it's uh we're going to need a bigger boat um or i bought a jeep th- those campaigns um and, and now they've kind of brought those back and um, in, in a slightly different fashion where they've actually um, addressing some of the issues that I guess owners in particular have gone through where um, them over the last few years, Jeep probably didn't build the best reputation for reliability, cost of parts, servicing, that kind of thing. And so their new campaign, which is called I'm In, is addressing that and highlighting the fact that um, they've cut the prices on, I think they said it's like 17,000 parts um, and also introduced cap price servicing for their vehicles. So um, it's obviously a great move for people who currently own a Jeep or or looking at buying a Jeep. Um, But also it's kind of funny on the other side because uh, I was talking to my sister and she's like, oh, to be honest, I didn't, I, and she's not like she, she, she came up with a, you know, with a, 
the phrase like um she's not a hoon she's a car enthusiast but you know she she doesn't really she's not a huge car person and she's like i didn't know there were any issues with jeeps but now i do um so that's where i find the campaign a little bit funny because i don't think a lot of people unless you owned one never really knew um that there were any big issues with Jeeps. Um, and this kind of, yes, it, it's, it puts this, you know, it highlights that, yes, they've taken steps and improved things, which is actually, you don't see that very often in such a public way. So that's a good move. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like a funny thing of, well, you've just told a whole heap of people that you that probably didn't know that were any issues, that there are issues now. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a good thing, but a little bit, you know, a bit perplexing at the same time because maybe people that didn't know there were issues suddenly are, you know, made to think twice about the the reliability of it. Yeah, that's the thing is that it's one of those, for those that own one that may have had a bad experience that kind of tarnished it, but Chief have been working really, really hard to try and fix that problem and and have been trying to do the best they can and you know they're coming up with this great product now so it's trying to rebuild that trust uh, in the product that that exists absolutely yeah so i think it's one of those things where it's like you it's it's it, it takes a lot of guts to do it um, a lot of people probably would have just issued a press release and, and let the media outlets do it and then let it quieten down. But, you know, it's another thing to back it up with an ad campaign and also get your old actors back together as well to yeah. film it. Um, so, yeah, look, it's kudos to them. Um, and uh, I guess it's, you know, we'll see how it plays out in the long term. Um, so obviously their, their sales are nowhere near what they were five years ago. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes in the long run. They've got a lot of exciting product. I think the, the Grand Cherokee is, is, is due for an update soon. The new Wrangler has obviously had some great reviews come out. Um, so it could be a dawn of a new age for them, you know, a revitalized time, um, for them here in Australia. Yeah, I think, yeah, with what they're currently doing with um, their product mix and stuff like that, I think it's uh, it's intriguing to watch what happens, you know, watch this space really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if, um, if uh, buying a Jeep isn't your thing but you still want a family car in, in quotes um, or just want a super car, uh, it needed to be practical. The new M5 has been revealed. Um, and uh, bloody hell, I, I think it's... <laughs> How do you define a supercar? Because 0 to 100 in 3.3 seconds um, would probably qualify as a supercar in many people's books. <laughs> like, that's just insane. I mean, 0 to 200 in 10.8. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a 460-kilowatt, 750-newton-meter, 4.4-liter V8 engine um, with twin-power turbos. So, yeah, just unreal. I think styling-wise, it hasn't really changed that much. Uh, the BMW did a video where they had the old, like the the previous generation and and this new one next to each other, and I had to. It was kind of. It felt like I was playing like spot the difference. 
Um, so I don't know if it was probably the best video that they did to talk about the differences when visually I don't feel like there's a huge amount of differences. But obviously um, from a performance point of view, um, on paper anyway, man, doesn't it, it, it seem impressive? And I do oh, like the hero colour that I've chosen for it, yeah, the really the bright red. The red's great and it's, it's yeah. a really colour. With the, We're looking at, uh, I was talking to uh, with a friend during the week about about it and it's got a carbon roof on it by the looks of it as well oh, so that black, okay. that black yeah. roof with the red with the red body panels it, it really really stands out it, it's quite a nice combination um because i you know a lot of times you might see carbon roofs on a darker color and yeah. it kind of gets lost um so yeah, it's nice to see that on that bright color. We're getting uh, only the competition spec here in Oz. Right, uh, I was going to say because it didn't mention anywhere the competition and the non-competition, and I was like, oh man, that feels like a the carbon roof. Um, because yeah, so it does have an alu- aluminum, an aluminium bonnet, front side panels, um, streamlined M exterior mirrors, and a carbon fiber reinforced plastic roof. Um, yeah, so because I was going to like, oh man, it feel, oh, I would have thought that would have been a competition only feature, um, but it makes sense if we're only getting the competition here because, um, yeah, that that's pretty cool though. Great to see. Yeah, it. It, it shows how far that has come along in terms of just the. I know we've had like carbon tubs and the i8 and you know carbon fibers used a lot, but um, it obviously shows that yes, the M5 is not a bargain vehicle, but to have you know obviously it it means a lot when you have carbon fiber roof going into a a car that size it must mean a huge amount of weight saving for them and and really lowers that center of gravity um just that little bit more than you know what aluminium or or steel could do yeah and it's interesting to see that you know traditionally they've had that standard blue finish on the calipers and they've now got the ability to finish it in black or that high loss red so imagine buying that red that's in the the launch pit. Yeah. Um, red calipers. That'll be yeah. pretty cool to, to to do. But yeah, it'll be here in Oz in October. So mm-hmm. that's something to to look forward to for the um for the M5 fans. And of course, being uh, an an M, it's going to have those brilliant um, red M1 and M2 buttons. Uh, oh, yeah. On the dash, that's always a cool thing to see when you jump in an, an M car, and um, yeah, so it's got um, apparently it's got an upgraded screen as well, a new high def 12.3 yeah. inch control panel, so mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, and they have kept so it is the X drive, like the M X drive system, so it's all wheel drive with an um, uh, an active M differential, uh, but they also do um, have that different mode that allows you to put it into like a and i'll just read it directly from the press release so as an alternative to variable all-wheel drive mode with rear bias based on setup the m5's handling characteristics can be altered by varying degrees culminating in two-wheel drive mode so if you want to drift it around a track you can you can just hit a button and it'll put into two-wheel drive mode which i guess for a lot of people if you if traction and um handling you know, sort of in terms of a, from a pure performance point of view is not important to you, you can just go nuts and whack it into two-wheel drive mode. Um, and so they call it in like pure rear-wheel drive setting, has no DSC, um, so it treats accomplished drivers to completely unadulterated driving pleasure. So 
I guess it's it's probably of all the things that BMW could be accused of doing, um, it kind of I think it highlights that someone somewhere hasn't lost sight of what you know their M customers want uh, from having you know something like that two wheel drive mode, and I I suspect it's probably going to be something we'll we'll see also in the updated M3 and M4 as well um, to keep people happy in that in that realm too when that arrives at some point yeah it's uh yeah it'd be something to we definitely look forward to and moving from um one european to uh to another we're celebrating 50 years of the range rover yeah it's so they're doing a, a special edition um but yeah it's it's kind of highlights i think how much of a mainstay that the range rover itself really is um it, it's kind of like the, uh, particularly I think in the UK and, and, and where, you know, obviously where the brand comes from of um, just such a mainstay that the Range Rover is for, for the brand. Yeah, it's and how been, successful it's been. Yeah, it's been such an iconic vehicle for, for so long. Um, so this new Range Rover 50, <laughs> so it's a cool yeah. it's a cool name. I, I like it. There's gonna only, only going to be 1,900, roughly 1,970 units globally. 37 are coming to Oz, so that's pretty cool for yeah. Australia to get that kind of percentage um, of that number that they're getting. But, yeah, it first came out in 1970. Yeah, so I can't see anywhere where they mention price. I, I suspect this isn't going to be cheap. Um, no, no figures, no figures no. as yet. Um, it'll be available in a, a standard wheelbase config powered by oh, the three hundred eighty-six kilowatt five liter supercharger V eight, and that's a brilliant engine. It's that supercharger yeah. and that thing sounds sounds fantastic. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, something cool to to see. And you know, if you're if you're a Range Rover fan and and you want to you know secure one of these unique vehicles, yeah, uh, definitely be speaking to um, and only three colors as well. So yeah. Three and huge colors. wheels, so you can yeah. choose from two unique 22-inch wheel designs. Man, they're big. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so you have special badging. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's not really telling me a lot about the specific... If there's what else do you get on top of it? It seems to be a lot of it is, is obviously colours and obviously trim and things like that in yeah. terms of what it'll what it'll be. But yeah, yeah it's uh, you know it's cool to see and it's nice yeah. it's nice to see that we here in Oz uh, uh, you know do get these models and they obviously see you know I think we're probably a, we're a good market but probably nothing to like what their home market is or even probably even the US market to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A really interesting article the other day talking about, um, you know, everyone's been talking about the last dance on on Netflix, the mock, mm. the, the the Bulls doco. But there was an article I read briefly the other day that talked about the cars of Michael Jordan, and he he was a bit of a Range Rover fan. So I yeah. wonder if MJ might stick his hand up for one in the US. Yeah, I I would not be surprised at all. Um, I, I, I watching the last dance. 
he um it's always great to see the cars that he turned up in and and um you know it was probably a quite the golden era of basketball i i was growing up just probably a little bit um too late to catch that peak time um like i was only eight in 1998 um but the yeah, it's it's cool seeing the different cars and there's certainly um, different aspects of seeing him driving the Range Rover. You go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He's a big, tall guy. Makes sense he did want a big, big SUV yeah. like that, which has all the luxury um, fixtures in it. So, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I wonder I wonder what he's getting around in these days compared to, to back then. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what it is. Yeah. But um, moving from uh, Range Rover to we have a new ute uh, in Australia on the, mm. on, in our market. Something which I think uh, some people were a little bit disappointed about because Mazda hyped up for a little bit, probably a little bit too much, their brand new BT50, um, which for them as a brand, it is actually a pretty big step forward. So previously, the Mazda BT50 actually used the Ford Ranger platform for their ute but for this new generation they're actually using the Isuzu D-Max platform um, and engine so they're three litre um, diesel so it's um it's a good looker it, it looks a lot more car like than previous the last one definitely looked like a, a working ute where this one I don't know would you agree Joel it, it looks a bit like a CX-9 ish um, SUV up front yeah, it's got a very CX nine, CX eight style yeah. because it because it's based on that Kodo design that Mazda have been bringing in for for a while. It, it's interesting to see, and look, it's great. It's great that they've moved into that range because so much of their model range. But what I was hoping that they might do, and particularly now that, like you said, Ash, that there is a relationship with a Suzu, and look. The MUX is is a good model, and I know it's quite popular. But from what I've read, I haven't driven one in quite a while, so I honestly can't comment on it. But what I would have loved to have seen them do, and, and look, they may still do it, but I'd love to see an SUV version. Um, yeah, like the CX nine is great, and and it's a really lovely car. Yeah. I was lucky enough to get one as a as a loan car when I was having my. Mazda serviced and I loved it. I thought it was a brilliant car and I've driven mm. the CX-8 and that's good. But, you know, I like being active. I like being able to, I like the ability to want to be able to go off-road. Sure, I can see the ability of the BT-50. It's great, but I want something that's got that. I don't need the third row, but I want that third row yeah. space and I want that enclosed boot. I'd love to see them take this further. And if that relationship is growing with the Suzu, can we get a, I don't even know what you'd call it, you know, is it, do we call it a, as a spin on a BT50? Is it a BT60 or what? Yeah. Is it, or is it a CX10? Because obviously or- that part of that market has been defined. Like we, we talked about it a little, a few weeks ago with the, um, the Fortuna, the, um, the Trailblazer, um, those sort of like, ute-based SUVs because remember, like I was saying how why would you buy that over like a Prado? And um, you guys sort of highlighted, well, it's a slightly different market for that, you know, for this, you know, for that segment. And I think 
if sales figures really kind of highlight that there is a, a growing area of people buying those vehicles and there is a demand for them enough for even Toyota to make a model for them, um, that surely Mazda at some point have considered it or even, you know, have something in the works to, to potentially address that. Um, and, and, and the advantage is with Isuzu, which we did also talk about, is their focus on reliability. Like they build commercial vehicles designed for commercial applications. And so the advantage you get out of that is a reliability factor. The you basically can't kill it. It's designed to be pushed really hard. And um, not only are you getting a great three-liter diesel engine, um, but you're getting all those benefits as well from what is essentially a very well-proven platform um, with now Mazda's take on it as well. So I think um, anybody looking at this new model should be fairly, on paper, any from what I'm looking at, should be fairly impressed. And they're going to be loaded with safety. So the big thing which I think has been lacking from a lot of utes um, here, dual cab utes in particular, is a lot of the safety equipment. So now this BT50 is going to have adaptive cruise control, auto emergency braking, lane cape, lane keep assist, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, all as standard, um, which I think is a, a huge step forward, particularly for, you know, these vehicles have been bought by families, not just tradies as well, but, but families too, where they're driving in school zones, they're backing in and out of driveways. Um, and so... If you can have more and more safety features that help um, people keep safe and away from hitting pedestrians or other cars, I think, you know, it's a huge step forward, particularly in these things where usually, you know, your visibility and, and judging of where your back corners are and all that kind of thing um, are quite hard um i'm surprised it's taken this long for essentially all of these things to be available in a ute yeah it's and it's definitely a design change and update so i'm intrigued to see where the market for them goes over the next few months whether it's you know current bt50 owners that turn around and go oh i'm going to upgrade and you know with obviously that tax advantage that the government's got at the moment Mm -hmm. um you know the instant asset write-off this could be a quite a big grower now that that um, that asset write-off has been extended till the end of end of the year yeah uh this could be a real boom for for mazda and in this model and and what it'll do for 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 their market um because obviously like you said ash that safety aspect is 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 increased um you know it's now got this new three liter diesel um still good power and torque it's you know 140 kilowatt and 450 newton meter um so you know it's three and a half thousand three and a half thousand kilo towing capacity yeah. um and a thousand kilo payload uh you know it's 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 going to be interesting so it'll be good to watch just to watch over the next few months what the sales chart is like Absolutely. on them yeah. and, and how well they do so um yeah i'm i mean i'm intrigued to see w- what it does yeah definitely well should we move on to the next one? This is one oh, I'm yeah. actually I'm excited. Of, yeah, I'm a little bit excited about this. Um, so Lexus, so this is this must have been a week of all new. Just let's pull the wraps off uh, our new cars. So 
Lexus have also revealed the new Lexus IS sports sedan. So that's um, if you're thinking of like uh, 3 Series, Audi A4, Mercedes C-Class, this is their competitor. Um, and on the surface, it looks like a bit of like a almost like a facelift in a way, but the way they've re- refined that design, forgetting all the other technical advances and all that kind of stuff, but from a design point of view, I think it's a very tidy car, even just in silver, which is what the hero images are all in. It yeah. looks like a very sharp car. I like it. It's definitely a progression from you know the IS now that the previous gen model had been around for you know, not a long time, but a couple of years. I remember yeah. driving the the updated version prior to this. But this new design language, oh my, it is so sexy. Um, it looks brilliant. That that new front fascia um, and the rear and everything. It's just Lexus have just taken this. I mean, the pictures we're seeing, of course, are of the F Sport. So yeah, it is designed to be which that. is almost yeah. cheating in a way because it's always going to look arguably better than the standard model. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things that it is, you know, the F Sport is is always going to be that that next sort of level and stuff like in terms of that. But, yeah, it's good to see that there's obviously the the lights have changed working to with that sort of L motif design within within it. Um, yeah. Uh, there, were, oh, there were a couple of changes that I studied this quite quite heavily when it was when it was announced during the week so there's going to be an is 300 hybrid uh as well but traditionally it'll it'll run the most of the models will run with a two and a half liter uh normally aspirated four cylinder um with electric motor pairing which is which is an interesting thing mm. with with that style but the the h is a great is a great thing to to drive with with these models um and that's what i see most of whenever i see a lexus on the road i always most typically see the hybrid version. I, I very rarely now see the standard version of the cars out and about. So I assume it's going to be the biggest seller here. Yeah, as well. and you know, for, well for them, it, it talks about the the IS is the one of their biggest sellers in the range. You know, they had over eight hundred sales last year, um, and then the ES was five hundred. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting to see. What this will do, um, it's running, they're running, this is what, this is the thing that I found. I'm just trying to refresh my my memory. Mm. It's a 45 mil wider front track and a 50 mil wider rear track. So that's a pretty like significant for this. That's what I found really fascinating about it, about it was that the, the track in it is totally different. So, it's and I think that's why we're seeing it in the photos, and we look at it and go, it looks so much more aggressive. Aggressive. I mean, that's only sort of five centimeters, but when you yeah. add, you know, everything else with the bodywork and every and it all adds to, up to match that. Yeah, it all adds up. So, yeah, um, yeah that's... And they've improved the safety systems too. So they've got. Um four or five improved or new items. So one is lane trace assist. So what it does, it improves lane recognition performance. Um, so it helps keep, you know, comfort by automatically, you know, reducing the vehicle speed 
and that through um, through curves. It's got driver emergency stop assist, so if you don't respond to a lane departure warning, the car will actually gently slow down and even stop the car in its lane, activating the hazard lights and horn. Um, so if you've fallen asleep or something, you know, an emergency is happening, the car will actually bring itself to a stop and, um, yeah, obviously create a tension to obviously either bring you back to attention or, you know, to highlight um, to other people around you that there's an issue. It will also unlock the doors and activate the emergency rescue requests. So I think that's a huge thing because also think about, probably think about the demographic of, you know, particularly in Australia of a Lexus buyer. I imagine it to be a slightly older demographic where these things in particular will be quite useful so another one is um emergency steering assist so that it actively assists the steering when the vehicle's lane um you know basically it's like your lane keep assist um your pre-collision safety system so if you're intersection so it has intersection detection um right turns during the system vehicles respond to vehicles and um, pedestrians crossing the street uh, from the direction towards which the vehicle is traveling before it started the turn so that's pretty cool um so it's not just looking in front but it's looking um like to the right uh where your vision um being on the right hand side of the car might not be as great because of the 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 A pillar. Um, and this one in particular stands out to me um, because we see these types of accidents all the time where, so they call it low speed acceleration control. And so this system supports prevention of collisions caused by pedal misapplication at low speed. So this is where, like, if you've ever watched Dash Cams Australia and you've seen um, an elderly person, typically it's not all the time, but it's predominantly that, where they've hit the wrong, they're meant to hit the pedal. Uh, the brake pedal, but they've actually hit the accelerator and they've gone either completely off the car park and down a next level and slammed it or completely reversed into someone without meaning to, um, that system should actually help prevent that from happening, um, which I think is... So they've been very clever in the systems they've developed um, to help aid what I imagine is their key demographic, um, at least here in Australia anyway. Yeah, I think the other thing is is that it's it's that low speed, you know, in traffic, hitting the wrong yeah. pedal, you know, making that that low speed accident that for from but you might not be paying complete attention as well. Yeah, or well, the traffic started moving and then all of a sudden they get stopped and yeah. things like that. So yeah, it's it's good to see. Um, we're looking forward to seeing them. They're due late twenty twenty, mm-hmm. so later in the year. So yeah, it's um it's an exciting end of the year at the moment for for Toyota and Lexus. Yeah. You know, we've got um, Hilux, we've got Fortuna, we've got this new IS, um, we've got new Yaris, we've got the new you know the new sexy sporty Yaris, uh, <laughs> which is coming as well. So yeah, they've got a they've got an exciting finish to the year. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it's it, it's very cool to see. Um, I can't wait to see him on the road. Mm. And one, uh, so another terrible segue, but one thing I can't help but wait to see on the road is um, so Hyundai landed the first twenty zero emission Nexo hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. So how good do these things look? Oh, they look great, um, but. The biggest thing is that this is a hydrogen-powered car, and um, so this is the first ones to meet 
ADR. So it's not just like an experimental vehicle or anything. It's actually the first um, first hydrogen vehicle that actually meets our design rules. And um, so these vehicles are actually be going to um, they'll be going. So they'll be going. They're going to Canberra. Yeah. So the ACT government fleet from the third quarter of this year. So they're not only just going into to do that, but obviously by meeting those ADRs. Um, they'll be actually able to be used by any government in Australia. So they meet all the requirements. So if a government wants to have a, a fuel, you know, a, a zero emission vehicle, this is an option for them. Um, and so it also falls in line with the first um, hydrogen refueling station um, that will allow them to do that. So it'll be happening in Canberra. So obviously it makes sense to have, if you're having 20 of these vehicles, um, that you have a refueling um, option. But... Uh, is this? Do you think this is the first step in that we're seeing um, in car makers where electric is kind of like the stopgap, but hydrogen was really the end game altogether? Because we've seen practically every major car maker come up with a hydrogen um, vehicle for at least 20 years. Like BMW is probably the biggest example I can think of where they've had... Um, basically production ready vehicles seven series vehicles doing press you know press rounds all throughout europe we've got toyota with with models um nissan i think as well so everyone's got a hydrogen version in some sort of production vehicle as well available overseas um but because we haven't had the 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 capability of refueling the vehicles here um perhaps this is you know the start of the the snowball where you know it's one hydrogen refueling station but then it's all of a sudden um petrol stations all over adding a you know replacing their gas um pumps with um you know the or the the natural gas sorry the natural gas pumps with uh with hydrogen look um, hydrogen's been a, it's been a, t- a talk for a while i remember a top gear episode years ago where yeah. james may went to the us and drove the honda hydrogen vehicle mm. and talked a lot about it i mean toyota have been pushing it quite heavily with their mirai model as well and and they've had it out at different um councils around victoria and things over the time and yeah. it's a it's a pretty cool model but um for because the advantage is, is that, so sorry, the, the Nexo has a range of 666Ks, um, but the critical thing is compared to uh, an electric vehicle is that the refueling time is three to five minutes, which is just in really line quick. with a petrol car, not a an hour on a fast charger if you've got one near you, um, which I think is probably that's that key differentiator between electric and and you know what they call like a hydrogen electric car um yeah so it's exciting anyway like i'm i'm going to be jumping on the phone and and asking well when can i drive one um Mm. because i'd love to also see well how does that experience differ from driving electric car and also to driving a combustion car i've seen plenty of videos online i just haven't had a chance to when i've been overseas to 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 get my hands on one um but it, it kind of um it's very much having driven um haven't driven, you know, lots of electrics and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, a, I, I presume it, 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 
the hydrogen is helping to to run that electric engine. So I pre- yeah. presume it's very similar. Generator, yeah, correct. So as opposed to it being that petrol engine, the hydrogen yeah. is helping to create. And the thing is, it's very much zero emission because the way yeah. that the hydrogen basically turns into energy and then turns into electric. But the, the thing that I well, find and, fascinating- and the byproduct is water. That's, yeah, correct. That's what it turns yeah. into. Yeah, so. and the water, the, from what I'm led to believe, the water is so clean you can drink it. It's yeah, hot absolutely. when it comes absolutely. out, but yeah. it, 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 it is it is clean. But the thing is, what I find interesting out of this is that there's going to be a permanent um, hydrogen station in Canberra, but it's yeah. the first publicly available hydrogen mm. refueling station. Absolutely. So this is a massive step moving into this range. Um and it goes on to talk about that they're going to have refuelers in Brisbane and in Melbourne by the end of the year. So, mm. Ash, hopefully, if you know, if, if we get an XO on the press fleet, that either one of us can probably drive it at some stage in, uh, you know, at either end of the country and be able or to even experience take it from here to down to Melbourne. Because if they if they have one in each place, yeah. Should might be able to, you know, because that's that's always been the proving ground for an electric car. Can you take it Brisbane to Sydney or you know, Brisbane to Melbourne? Um, so yeah, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, it, it's and and I given the resistance of petrol stations to have any sort of charging infrastructure put in, because for me it, it it it's felt like in the past, why not? particularly for new petrol stations yeah. if you know why not throw in a, a few high you know fast charging things and, and encourage people to come in and you know buy from you buy some food whilst you're waiting um, well there is a 7-eleven in melbourne that had a charging station that i saw installed um out in the sort of the southeastern area but the last time i was at that service station it wasn't the the charging station wasn't working so <laughs> right. You know, I can't see why you wouldn't particularly, you know, one of the bigger chains, why would you not want to go down that go down that route? I mean, the last time I was at um, the RACV club in Torquay, for example, they've got multiple charging stations now. They've got them actually outside. But then if you're a guest staying, there's ones underneath in the car park. Yeah, right. Like they're, they're smart. They've worked with ChargeFox to go and create this system so mm. that people that, are wanting to stay at the hotel, can drive, stay there, charge their car. But yeah. if you're um, on a day trip and you want to charge your car halfway through the day, you can stop in, do that sort of stuff. It's a little bit harder with COVID now and restrictions and, and you know, with numbers of what they can do in restaurants and things like that. But, you know, it would it's well, a no-brainer for, for like you said, anyway, for so. petrol stations, new yeah. petrol stations, to, to work with someone like ChargeFox or one of the other uh, brands that are, building these infrastructure charging stations yep. to install them in a server because, you know, they've got that ability to, to for people to stop, buy stuff from the station while they're waiting for the for the charge and top up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, and then, you know, the next phase from here is do we then start seeing these um, hydrogen stations, Yeah, you know, being able that ability I to... I guess that we'll see hydrogen roll out potentially faster because it's something that petrol stations can charge for. Yeah. They can measure how much they're putting out and, um, and, and charge you for it. They can do the same with electric charges, but for some reason they're not. But I don't know. Maybe um, it's something to keep an eye on anyway. And and this is a massive positive first step um, towards that, which is something it's always felt like we've been denied um, compared to other parts of the world having hydrogen. 
as an option. Um, but should we should we have a look at some international news? Yeah, there was yeah. a lot happening there as well. Yeah. This first this first one I'm uh, <laughs> I'm particularly excited about. Mm-hmm. I saw this pop up during the week and uh, was waiting for. Um, uh, like most things these days, you know, the, the the release goes out or the news hits some of the the outlets that have had it a little bit ahead of time. But yeah, McLaren are doing a 720s Le Mans special, and what grabbed me was that it's got these awesome wheels on it. Um, you, these unique five-spoke LM wheels. Um, you know, I, I look the rest of it. You know, there's there's only 16 examples in Europe, 50 worldwide of these. Um, but they look so good. Um, just just the fact that it's got this sort of old school style wheel on it um, yeah. is just. So it's it's just like pre- if you've seen a photo of the McLaren F1 GDR from Le Mans, like that's the wheels that it's got on it. Basically, it's got a, a, a road going version of that wheel, and it looks fantastic. Um, but what are you going to have? You're going to have a choice of two different colours: so the McLaren orange or Sutha grey. It's um, got to be the orange, Ash. It's got to yeah. be. It's got to be the orange. You know, Though for me, the gray I think, does look a bit stealthy. Look, it, it does the grey, yeah, I agree. The grey is stealthy and looks good, but yeah. that orange is just magic. And it's just the way that it's designed and the way that it flows around the car, and it, they've given that you know the the orange feel, but then it wraps around the car, and they've got the grey accent at the bottom of the rear of it. Oh, it's so cool. Um, you know, I. I I really, it's. It, I mean, McLaren love doing this sort of stuff, and I, I, I really tip my hat to them to, 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 to creating something like this. Um, in tribute to the Le Mans win, the really cool little 25th anniversary badge. But you know, the fact that they've done it, but the fact they've gone and created it with, you know, a tribute to the original wheels and stuff is just so cool. Oh, absolutely. So. It's going to have uh, McLaren anniversary, uh, Le Mans badges, um, gloss black roof scoop, polycarbonate reglazing, carbon fiber louvered front fenders, gold colored um, brake calipers, gloss black contrast bits, um, carbon fiber racing seats, embroidered headrests with the with that same logo. 12 and the roof steering wheel marker <laughs> yeah um floor mat so if you want logos you'll go you'll get logos in this edition as well as the other bits and pieces but um but yeah look and it seems like the rest of it though um fairly standard mclaren 720s it's just uh, a bit of a because well not just a bit of but it is a uh, a cosmetic affair, um, but obviously it's quite drastic cosmetic affair. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't think we'll get very many here. Probably get one. Do you think? Yeah, can we get one or two? Yeah, well maybe. I think that's the thing. Is McLaren a bit of a market for it here? Yeah, McLaren um, owners here in Oz are, are pretty unique, and and they love you know those that that, that are buying the the vehicles have a passion for it and a mm. lot of them actually own sort of multiples yeah. so i i would not be surprised at all if we get a couple i reckon um here that i think that there'd be a few guys that would be keen to there's you know, one on the gold coast i could one customer on the gold coast can probably think it, one might be picked up by but we'll just have to wait and see i think i know that same customer yeah. i think that uh, and there's one there's one or two maybe in victoria i think that yeah. would probably grab it and actually i think there's actually another really dedicated fan in adelaide as well so um yeah, I'd love to see one down here and, um, 
yeah, I think it's it's cool. And, you know, what well, I'm a McLaren. <laughs> that's all I can say. Yeah, that's the right type of special edition. They, they come yeah. out with a lot of special editions, but I think that's a it's a nice one to do. Yeah, and a hat tip to what their, you know, to, to their heritage because that Le Mans win was was pretty amazing for that for that car um and for you know for their for their motorsport history. Yeah. Um so yeah that's uh that's pretty cool. But going from McLaren to a to another pretty unique uh oh, this looks car. so cool. So it's uh how do you pronounce it? Donkelvort? I think that's that, pretty close, Ash. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um so it's the D eight GTO JD seventy. Um Basically, if you if you're not familiar with the name, that's okay. I don't think many people will be. Um, but they're a Dutch car maker, and um, it kind of looks. Maybe people are more familiar with like a Caterham. And yeah, I, I think it's a, du- it, it, a Dutch version of that because yeah. certain angles of it certainly have that look. But it's kind of modernised. Uh, I yeah, think absolutely. you know, or, or a Lotus Seven. You, you, you think yes. of those two have had that sort of design and and. They've kind of, they've, they've kind of updated over the years, and it's this... only and it's not an open wheeler simply because I've shoved a bit, of, you know, a couple of wheel guards on. That's, you know, <laughs> it's a it's it's a very loose definition of a a non open wheeled car as well, but yeah. performance is is insane. So it, it can pull over two g of lateral acceleration through corners. Um, you have a an Audi source two point five liter inline five. So I reckon that's probably the engine out of the RS three, uh, making four hundred fifteen horsepower. Um, and that's all through a rear wheel setup with a five speed manual and limited slip diff. So it's 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 definitely a purest driver's car, um, that's for sure. And it and just it's, looks insane. Love it's it. a work. It's a work of art. Like it really is in in terms of just the bodywork and everything like that. It's funny. The press release popped into my inbox during the week, and I marked mm-hmm. it to to add to the to the show notes during the week for us to chat about. Um, but it was funny then on social, the photographer that shot all the press releases I'm connected with on, on online and he posted a picture of the, his picture from the shoot of it. So it was quite interesting just to see that connection. But, yeah, he uh, his stuff's really, really amazing. The press pictures are, mm. are pretty cool with some of the stuff that he's created. But, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It also looks a little bit examples. like a... You, you sit so low, and it's got a it's got your roll bars over over the top, so it looks almost even like a modern rat rod from yeah. some angles. Um, it got looks a little great. bit of um, Plymouth Prowler about it, yeah. and you know more modernised. But the way that the doors hinge and like just the, yeah. the the design and stuff that's got in it. But like you said, like those roll bars, Ash, with the windows and everything else. So it's got that. Like I said, it's a modernised Lotus Seven Caterham kind of style of things so um yeah it's all for it's, the bargain price of 184,000 US dollars yeah um but it is look you know it's top speed is 173 miles per hour you'd probably be freaking out at that speed anyway um and at zero to 100 is 2.7 seconds so but i'd love to see someone do that in a manual gearbox um they'd have to be an absolute master of the manual gearbox um to be able to pull that number don't you think oh yeah 
<laughs> That'd be some quick footwork and uh, that's and the thing. It is one of those things that where you can, um, you know, they they reckon that with that sort of stuff that you can over and over again, you know, be able to create uh, that time. So I think you'd, uh, I think every time you drive it, you'd have fun trying to challenge yourself to see what, <laughs> what kind right. of time yeah. you get yourself a V box and you know just head out to a track or a drag strip and just see what you can do time and time again. That's right. So. Um, from that, uh, we're, we're going, going to, a bit to of sad news. Yeah, a bit of sad destruction news. Um, but in some sense, it's good. The, the guys from Top Gear uh, UK are, are back, and I've talked about my passion for this new series and the chemistry mm. these boys have. But I'm not a fan of when they start destroying uh, classic uh, exotic supercars. Paddy McGuinness from uh, Top Gear UK fan has decided to, well, if you watch his Instagram, if you check out his Instagram story or his Instagram video about it, he, he's kind of right. He was driving a Lamborghini Diablo for filming during the week. But mind you, uh, they were also driving an F40 and an XJ220. Yeah. So three of the most iconic supercars of that era. Mm. Um, and Paddy had a bit of a moment. Um, he managed to crash this Diablo, which wasn't, you know, it was owned. It was owned by someone. Um, and he's managed to spin it off the road and um, put it in a paddock. Uh, and it's not a pretty sight. The The car is not in the best of Nick. Uh, it looks like it's got a bit of front end side and 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 rear damage. And there's a picture on, uh, on online on, on Twitter of it, uh, of all the fiberglass and stuff like that. But luckily, it looks like it may only be cosmetic. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame to do this. So, um, but well, yeah, look, you said- know, those cars have no, nothing, nothing works with you in terms of, you know, electronic bits and bobs that is going to help you. Um, yeah, they're very much a, a raw type oh, yeah. of vehicle. So, you've, you you know, if, if you don't have perfect conditions, you're going to, you, there is a chance you get caught out um, in, in, in any of those cars, really, um, compared to, you know, driving the equivalent modern, modern vehicle. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it's, you know, with everything we've got in these things today and, you know, the cars from that era were pretty raw and, and you know, weren't very forgiving. So, um, yeah, look, you know, main thing, Paddy's all right. The car is looks like it's fixable. Um, there was a funny tweet that uh, Clarkson commented on the other day saying he didn't realise that Richard Hammond was back on Top Gear and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But, um, hey, I, I can't wait to see that episode. They've got an F40 and a Diablo and an XJ220. Oh, it's going to be a ripper classic oh, episode. Yeah. Well, um, we'll see. We'll see what the how that episode works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Um. So, from one filming of one item, Top Gear, to to another, which I think a lot of people had a lot of hope for, um, but ended up being a bit of a massive flop. Like I. So Ferrari filmed a, like a rendezvous um, tribute video in Monaco with their with their new um, uh, SF90 Stradale, which has got 735 kilos of power. Like it's an absolute monster of a car. Um, but I, look, to be honest, when I started watching, I didn't even finish it. Um, it was a bit of a bit of a fail, and it seems to be that a lot of people online seem to agree as well. Um, 
but yeah, what do you think? It was a it was had yeah. the intention of being pretty epic, but I can I can understand it. It was kind of like what they've done to try and build on the fact that Monaco wasn't running. If it hadn't been called Rendezvous, yeah. then I think I probably could have dealt with it. But when you pull in an iconic name, an iconic film. It just doesn't kind of work. But in saying that, like, like obviously, it's been interesting watching the internet talk about this during the week. And like, there's bits of it. It's cool. It's what interesting to watch him driving the circuit in in this car. But you know what was cooler during the week? Someone shared some video of the same gentleman driving a current spec F1 car through yeah. the streets of Maranello. Way better. Now, that's way cool. It it's, goes for not even a, 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 a small. It goes for I think 10, 15 seconds. Yeah, but. Leclerc driving a current spec F1 car, not even at massive speed, but that was way cooler. Yeah. Ferrari that, should have. That I think, was probably... that was the uh, that was the video to watch. They could yeah. have saved a whole heap of time and effort. Yeah. Um, if they don't just... done the same principle in terms of where they mounted cameras, so there was obviously the rear camera mounted on the on the rear wheel of of the um, the Stradale, the SF90, but then there was one inside of um, Leclerc driving, and then. I think there's a couple of sort of about external stuff. I would much prefer to have seen that, like watching him drive an F1 car, even at low speed, because those yeah. things still sound amazing yeah. around the streets. And look, if you look at the, the the footage from that, there is it's like six o'clock in the morning, you know. Yeah. And and someone commented on one of the socials that I saw. Uh, it's like, how would you like to be waking by that? Yes, please. That would yeah. be. It's like. Awesome noise. So, yeah. look, you know, I can understand where what Ferrari we're trying to do. Um, look, go and watch it for yourself. Make your own your, your own opinions of it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of it's kind of a weird weird thing with the involvement of the um, with the flower girl and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, go and watch it and, you know, tell us what you think. Comment on social and, and really tell us what you think of, yeah. you know, what it is because it's a, it's a weird it's a weird idea and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would love to have seen the, uh, the F1 car, I think. But, yeah, going from um, something that's pure pure petrol to to something that that's electric there's uh there's an electric c4 coming ash yeah so citroen is um it's their new generation c hatch um so if you're keeping up with citroen and um know what that is good on you because i think a lot of people really do but um think of it as like a it's kind of like, yeah, they're, they're hatchback of sorts. Um, and so they're new. So adding an electric version as well as, uh, you know, an updated model. So it looks quite good. Um, but, yeah, so you can go 100% electric, petrol, or diesel. Um, this is, this is we are talking about the just the general press release as well. We haven't had any local specific information yet. Um, but... Yeah, it seems to tick all the boxes. It, mm. It's got good looks. It's I like the design. The design is really quite nice. Yeah, from certain points, it, it, it it's got a little bit of Jaguar I-Pace in there. Yeah, I um, definitely see that. Yeah, but also at some points, like it's very, it, in, in some other angles, it looks very sporty. I like it. 
Mm. Um, though it cool. does look a, just a little bit busy on, on up front with all the lights and Yeah, but that's kind of a Citroen design language yeah, now, true. I think, with their, their their recent models and yeah, so I'm intrigued to watch watch this space and see if it comes it may not come to Oz straight away, but I think it's something that maybe depending on how the market goes um, in the in the not too distant future, what they do. But I don't yeah. see any range mentioned in their initial press release, but it would surely have to have anywhere between four and six hundred k's. Do you think? Do you kind think of you, you, you get kind of your general range to, yeah. of this sort of stuff these days of of what it'll do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued to see you know one whether Citroen Australia bring it here. Um, I mean, they're yeah. trying to build their market, so having an electric car come in, I think, would certainly be quite good for for them in in terms of what they're um, trying to do in that market. As as we know that you know, yeah, is Citroen is is growing and and they're doing more and more models and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. But moving Ash from uh, from 100 percent uh, electric to 100 percent muscle car, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they they call it the return of the Mac, which I think is quite uh, quite catchy. Yes, <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like I, th- I think this replaces the like the Bullet Special Edition they did. Um, so it's kind of like that they've moved on from the Bullet now, moving on to the Mac One, which it's of course not is really a... a replacement because this is kind of more sort of track focused. So it, yeah. it, it returns. I, I mean, like it's a it's They've done the bullet. Now they're yeah. moving on to the next um, next special edition, I guess you could say, um, with a slightly slightly different focus. But yeah, obviously, um, it's a more a track focus, which is good because it it's designed to bridge the gap between the the, the GT and, and the Shelby models. Yes, but it, it returns to a nameplate that has had a 17-year hiatus, mm. which is, you know, they talked about it before in, in previous models. It was first delivered in 69, um, and then they brought it back. And it, the when they brought it back, it was, you know, 17 years ago. It was a, it was a model that is quite, um, what's the word? It, was quite, it wasn't a massive... Seller, no, but it was it's, it's, it, I don't think I think that they they brought the name back for the sake of bringing the name. But back, it was a good looking not. car back then. Like it was yeah. a quite an iconic looking vehicle, and it's the marks the Mark ones now from that era uh, are still quite popular. But you know, it's they're talking about you know four hundred and eighty horsepower, four hundred and twenty. Uh, foot pounds of torque, forty six hundred RPM, um, and it's got performance parts from the Shelby GD350 and yeah which is which is interesting so yeah. um, a second air to air to oil intercooler uh, air cooler as well um, which is you know I know that some of the, the 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 Mustangs have had issues with cooling, so the fact that they've gone and done that is a, is a really good step. Um, the body kit and the wheels on it are just magnificent. Um, mm. That hero image of the, the 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 new mark followed by the the two previous generations is just really really aggressive in terms of what it what it is and and, and what it looks like with that you know that front splitter and yeah. you know but it, you know what it does look like it looks very much like the one that the special edition that we have here in Australia. Yeah. It's being built by um, our friends at uh, um, Herod. Um, you know, the, the wheels and, and stuff yeah, like that. So, right. yeah. yeah. So, you know, 
but uh, I think it's good to see that uh, those guys created that prior to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a couple of different color specs and there's a couple of different versions as well. That the blue one in the press releases is just a stunning color. And um, for, for people who love uh, manual transmissions, it's standard with a six speed manual. Yeah. Um, so and it's going to have rev matching, um, and it's got the GT three hundred and fifty oil cooler system, kind of like what you mentioned, um, twin disc clutch from the from the GT, and uh, short show short throw shifter. So, and you can go the ten speed if you want as well, yep. which has had an upgraded torque converter um, and obviously other tuning ability so that it works that it works well together um you know and you know there's new spoilers and stuff like that obviously the new wheels which which we talked about um but yeah it's it's pretty cool unfortunately it uh i think it's only going to be based in uh, the us so we won't we yeah. won't see it here but um well good thing harrod are building their version yeah exactly well we've already we've already had it for a while so um you know we don't have to wait wait for this we've got our own version here in oz but for those in the us they're uh they're pretty pretty lucky to be able to get something as cool as that absolutely oh well from a track focused car to motorsport do you want to touch on about the uh the draft yeah, so we had a we had a we had a return to supercars announced a while back, and uh, it actually kicks off next week. Hard to believe we're going to see some uh, supercars back on our TV screens next week, and that's pretty exciting. Um, there was an announcement today that most of the commentary team are returning, but we won't see um, Rihanna unfortunately, or we won't see um, Greg Murphy. Murphy obviously can't leave New Zealand and come into Australia, unfortunately, due to restrictions still and. Uh, I think due to the number of people that are that are allowed into the circuit, they're they're not going to allow for pit reporters, which is a bit of a shame. Um, mm. So the numbers have been kind of been reduced. Uh, but yeah, we've had a, a the, the the calendar which was announced a. a when they announced that they were returning to racing has had a slight um, trim. So the season will now finish at the end of this year. There was talk it will move into 2021, um, but now it'll finish at the end of the year. But what it will finish with is a night race at Sydney Motorsport Park. Ah, cool. So they've been working in the downtime, putting in their new lighting system. So we're going to have that. That'll finish the season. So we'll kick off next week at the Super Sprint in Sydney. Um, for... so, does that, so does that mean uh, the Bathurst 12-hour stays as it is? So at this stage, they're, they're not committing on that because they right. don't know whether or not the 12-hour will be able to go ahead due to overseas oh, restrictions. Yeah. So they may kick off the season at Bathurst, mm-hmm. um, but at this stage, they're not expecting to make an announcement on um, 2021 season dates and locations until October. Um, yeah. So, but we now have a finish to the season. So we'll we'll go from Sydney uh, next week to Winton in July, um, which I believe at this stage will still probably be no fans because uh, next week's definitely no no fans. Then we'll go to Darwin at the start of August. Who knows what will happen there in terms of mm-hmm. whether we're allowed fans. You know, Darwin have been very lucky with that sort of stuff. So we're not they'll allow only local fans to go. Who knows? Yeah. Just watch this space. Townsville is staying, which is great, which is going to be at the end of August. Then we'll head to Sandown in September. Uh, Bathurst retains its standard date in October. 
Then they head to Perth at the end of October into early November. Then to Tassie um, for Simmons in, in late November. That should be a great event because the weather will be pretty good then, um, and it should be quite should be good for weather. And they shouldn't have sort of the weather issues they've kind of had in the past. Um, and then we finish with the Sydney night sprint in sort of mid December. So it's a it's a tight um, nine rounds to, to finish off the season. Yeah. Um, but it's great to see in terms of what it is. Well, you know, Sydney are gonna be lucky they're gonna get two rounds this year. I mean it's kind of like F one. F one are running multiple rounds at multiple tracks. Yeah. Um so yeah it, it's good it's good to see that. Um unfortunately the Bend New Zealand uh, miss out on their rounds. I mean, New Zealand is obviously an obviously one because restrictions haven't opened up and it's just too much of an unknown. The yep. Bend is an interesting one. The dropping them out, I think, again, currently South Australia borders are still closed, So, um, which is a shame that we won't get to go there and see that race. But, you know, they, they have to do what they have to do. The guys at Supercars have probably had it really tough trying to, to plan all this out, deal with restrictions, deal with, you know, local governments, mm-hmm. um, deal with, you know, the teams and everything else. So, you know, well done. It's a to, big, to... big set of operations oh, to, yeah. to plan out. So Yeah, and, and, and it's been tough because, you know, there hasn't been a lot going on. They've probably had to reduce, you know, like a lot of businesses have to reduce um, headcount, um, reduce wages and stuff like that. So, you know, they've probably been running on a, on, a, on a skeleton staff to be able to still pull this together and, you know, it is really, really well done. Um, so yeah, we, we're going to return to racing. We're going to see a finish to the season. We're going to get a championship. Um, I think that's really, really important um, to have that. So yeah, I can't wait to to watch racing. I mean, and we, there won't be fans. It'll be weird seeing an empty Sydney Motorsport Park. But hey, we can watch it on telly. Uh, I think we'll try and. Uh, I've got something a bit more fun to drive next weekend, so I don't know whether I'll get a chance to watch it. But I'll keep an eye <laughs> for the highlights. But. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's good to see that we're that they've progressed. That you know a lot of the major stuff is staying, but we're going to have a really sort of weird timing for everything for the rest of the year. You know, Simmons is going to be the end of the year. Um, you know, Sandown's back uh, in terms of where it is in terms of that time frame. Uh, instead of being later in the year, stuff's moving around. Bathurst doesn't change. Sydney's going to have a night race at the end of the year. It's yeah, it's cool, uh, and it's good to see that we'll have that. So hopefully. Things will stay fairly stable from now on and we'll get a finish to the season. Yeah, well, I can't wait. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for um, Formula One to be back soon. We're not too far away now. Um, and also Sector One. So we, we talked about the uh, the racing series that we're, we're sponsoring a team in. And um, so the Sector One racing season kicks off uh, this Sunday night. Uh, you can catch it on youtube we'll share the links uh when when they do go live um but keep an eye out for the red mist racing team in the m3 challenge and the sector one gt series um we'll uh you'll be able to spot our logo on there and um, <laughs> looks good where it is on the on the car on that front yeah, it's, bumper it's perfect it's uh and um the driver the four drivers have actually been performing really really well in the um in the preseason races so we've had a couple of podiums along there um 
and uh, look for for a locally run um, group of guys coming together and racing on um, on uh, Gran Turismo Sport. It's it's a, an extremely well put together racing series. Um, the commentators are entertaining. The the replays are great. The overlays are fantastic. So it it, it basically you'd, you'd be fooled into thinking that it's a it's a larger, more professional racing series and that's not to discredit them at all um it, it actually just highlights how well of a job that they've put something together and the racing is fantastic too um so definitely uh, keep an eye out we'll share the link to that or you can just um search for sector one racing or the red mist racing team and you'll be able to find them online but that kicks off sunday night and um yeah it should be another good Another good watch. And, Same uh, night hopefully. as the uh, the next round of the World Rallycross Esports. So ah, round excellent. two is Hell Round or Hell Course from Norway is on uh, on the 21st. So I think that's the night of the 22nd for us here in Oz. So I'm looking forward to seeing that again. That's, so that's this weekend. So um, Sunday night, I know where I will be watching that. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. They haven't announced all the drivers as yet. So... Mm-hmm. There were a couple of small announcements, I think, the other day. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure um, Gizzy is back for the next round, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, yeah, mm. that's, uh, that should be pretty cool to to watch the next round of that when that when that hits. So, um, yeah, um, there's still a bit of you know, the actual Supercars eSports has finished up for, for the year, but um, there's still a few championships floating around that are, that are still running, so... Ah, excellent. Well, looking, uh, I guess, looking forward, what have you, you've got the, the Forester hybrid. Um, so looking forward to, to hearing more. Yeah, I picked that, uh, that. I swapped that over today. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a quick drive of that. So um, I think we're going to go and do a bit of a road trip uh, this tomorrow just to, to go and um, just to do a bit of exploring Victoria now that we can kind of get out and, and do day trips. So I think uh, the weather's not looking the best, but uh, I think we're going to jump in the car tomorrow and have a bit of a picnic and go for a bit of an explore. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting uh, some time behind the wheel of that. Um, and seeing what that's like in just from the small amount I drove it today, it, it, it's definitely a, a different feel to the XV. Um, even though it's the same sort of drivetrain in that, um, it mm. should be pretty cool. What are you driving this week, Ash? Uh, so I'm driving the, so I handed back, uh, I also was driving the, the Nissan, Nissan Qashqai TI um, and the Supra. So they, so they went back and um, picked up the Nissan Leaf. Uh, so oh, nice. In, Handed in uh, power and uh, performance for um, <laughs> smooth efficiency. So it's actually quite a nice contrast okay. yep. to jump into. What color is um, the leaf? So it's white. Okay. Um, yep. So it's very much, uh, it's it's totally different to what I've been driving. Um, mm. But, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be back in an electric car again just because it is such a, a, a relaxing um, experience. How are you off for a charging setup at home? Uh, so I'm, I'm doing my best to avoid charging it at home and actually okay. using charges that are out in public. Yeah, uh, okay. So I feel like it's a little bit of cheating when you can charge at home. Mm-hmm. And um, 
when in reality, this has got about a 250-ish kilometer range. So it's not huge. Um, It's not like the Kona um, EV or anything like that. But 250Ks is not a far, you know, isn't isn't bad either. Um, So I really want to, this week, push... um, you know the limit or in in the idea of well if i if i have to park it on the street and i can't run a you know run a charging cable out to it you know like many inner city apartment situations these days um can i get away with charging it at the shops or um or you know at a public's charger because there are a few shops around now um like the coles just near me have got coles branded um, car charges mm-hmm. so um, yeah I really want to see how does that experience go versus just man I plug it in at home um, have you tried setting up with the adapter do you need an, one of the adapters or is it a straight fixed plug for it and it's okay to go straight in yeah so they have um, a couple of different options so you just have the cable um, I, I can't remember the, the adapter type but yeah you just plug it in straight to uh, if, you, if you're going to a recharging station you can use a fast charger or just a straight um, standard uh, normal voltage um, recharging station or uh-huh. the home charger so the thing about the Leaf as well which is good is that they include both types of cables you don't have to buy, yeah. out and buy one so the home charger as well is just like your standard 6 kilowatt um, box that you plug in um, just like what most other EVs now have as you're like most others label it like your emergency charger if you can't have access to any other type of faster charging um, so yeah it's fairly standard affair it just fits into both the cable and the home charger fit into the side pockets of the boot. Um, the boot's nice and deep. Um, so, yeah, it's it's probably one of the more mature vehicles when it comes to charging options, which I think is quite good, um, particularly in this, you know, day and age. But, you know, we'll see how we go over the next week or so and uh, we'll put back next week. Yeah, I'm intrigued to hear what you, you think. I've driven it, uh, I think I've driven it briefly. Uh, no, yeah, brief, very briefly. Spent a little bit of time around the car and really liked the the design and, and stuff of it, yeah. you know, in terms of sort of space Massive and whatever. improvement over the previous generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that it was one of those things that was certainly it needed an update. Um, it's interesting to see the spec that we get here in Oz compared to what uh, other markets get. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing what you um, what you think um, and how you go for range yeah. uh, in terms of you know just with what you do over the next week and then obviously yeah. with the top ups and stuff that you planned, how it works and, and and how much you get out of it if you and if you can avoid charging it at home, yeah. um, you know whether you you get any ranging anxiety or whether you know whether it's not a problem at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, report back next week. If you if you have any questions, feel free to, to send them in through our social media at Daily Autofix um, or send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Uh, you can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And, um, yeah, thanks again for joining us if you made it all this way, and um, we'll see you back here next week. See you next week. All right, see you guys.